it's 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 a much more um, demanding baseball town than I think that than uh, America gives it credit for. They can't really take the uh, you know ease up on 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 that because I feel like you know the, the minute the Cardinals or or the fans you know let up on it, then they could they're in danger of becoming like the Reds or the Pirates or some team where you know with with another great baseball tradition, but that just can't can't sustain anything and and the the cardinals ability to sustain what they have is 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 i think what makes them really special there Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould. You know the, what did you call it, jaunty music? Is that what it, what it was you referred to all those years ago? Yes, it's very jaunty. Jaunty, jaunty. That, of course, is New York Times baseball columnist, national baseball columnist, author Tyler Kepner. We've, we've, we've had a chance to talk every so often, I guess, probably pretty regularly at the World Series for the best podcast in baseball. This is the 10th year of this podcast, if you can believe that, Tyler. So, wow. Yeah, we've probably talked at seven different World Series um, and kind of talked about like what happened in the World Series. And then now you've gone out and written the book on the World Series. It's the World Series, the grandest stage by Tyler Kepner, available at bookstores. I want to talk to you about it, about the most recent World Series, um, get your thoughts on some of the rule changes. But I want to start with this, Tyler. I want to ask you about your ode to Lance Berkman, because everybody in St. Louis knows the 2011 World Series as the games that David Free's hometown boy changed. But in your book, you advocate even even like laud and say, do not overlook Lance Berkman as a hero right. of that series. Oh yeah, I mean, well, he was so good that year for one thing, and and just the, I mean, the the middle inning really kind of gets, oh, it gets lost, but it, it it gets a little bit forgotten because Freeze did it in in both the uh, you know the, the the ninth and the eleventh. I mean, David Freeze had the tying hit with with uh, you know down to your last strike, and then of course the the walk off homer, but there was that. Tenth inning too that 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 uh, had to happen um, for anyone to remember much about this like um, and that was Lance Berkman getting down to his final strike um, against Scott Feldman. I mean that inning in itself was just fascinating to me because um, you, you have Hamilton hitting the two run ho- two run homer, mm-hmm. um, so it's a two run lead, and they the Cardinals are down to Descalso, Jay, and the pitcher with nobody else left uh, on the bench. And, you know, so Berkman's due to come up sixth in that inning. And, you know, after after a run scores and a grounder and an intentional walk, then he comes up and gets down in the count against uh, against Feldman, uh, two strikes. And he tries to come in with a cutter and, and he just gets he gets just enough of it um, to dump it into center field. It wasn't wasn't a bloop so much. It was it was a nice clean hit. But, um, you know, it, it, it was the kind of hit that, uh, you know, that 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 in any other context really is, is probably remembered a whole lot more. Um, but when it's squeezed between two David freeze moments that will <laughs> live forever, um, I guess it's understandable that it gets uh, a little bit, a little bit overlooked. So I wanted to give it its due. As you went through and kind of revisited some of these games 
and did so in the context of comparing them against other World Series. Like just like you're researching World Series, so your brain is in a World Series mode. And and having known you through the years and talked to you a lot, you you always kind of have a World Series mode about you. Uh, did you yeah. did some of these games that you were at and thought, okay, this is a timeless game? Did they change in your estimation? Did some grow in relation to like, man, this is one of the best games ever? Um, some that in the moment feel like among the best games then then diminish when compared to others um that's a great question i i think certain certain series that i didn't know a ton about um i i think maybe grew a little bit in my in my estimation the 72 world series between the mm-hmm. reds and and the a's um was one sorry was one that was um you know, just extremely well played. I mean, you had one run games in six of the seven. Um, only game six was 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 uh, was not a one run game. So you got one run games. You know, six games of them. You got you know a bunch of Hall of Famers in in, in those games. You've got a, a guy thrown a, a pitcher pinch running thrown out at the plate <laughs> in game five to extend the series. Um, you know, you have the 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 final batter representing the. The winning run, you know, golden pitch scenario where you know the winning run comes to the plate with the two outs in the bottom of the ninth. Um, that was Pete Rose against Raleigh Fingers, a pretty good matchup. So, um, yeah, so the '72 World Series was one that um, that stands out to me because you know it wasn't one that was uh, you know had a had a major market in it, let's say, um, but it was you know it that that was one of the best. And then also '92, um, you know, the the game six in '92 is a great game that gets a little bit lost in the shuffle of all the other great um, game sixes of that era. When you think about 85 and 86 and uh, some of the highlights in, in 88, certainly, you know, game one of, of, of Gibson and, and uh, 91, the best series ever, in my opinion, and 93 with Joe Carter hitting the home run. You sort of forget 92, but that sixth game in 92 was wild. I mean, we talk about, um, you know, coming, you know, freeze getting the hit down to your last strike. Well, um, you know, if the Rangers had closed him out, you know, it, not that it would have been forgotten, but like Otis Nixon got a hit down to his last strike in the ninth inning of game right. State, the state right, off right. elimination. And, you know, but, but the difference there was that, you know, Toronto came back and, and won. Um, Texas couldn't quite come back and win. Um, but so anyway, that was a, that was a game that, that uh, really stands out too. So, where for you does game six of the 2011 world series fit? Cause I, I wrestle with that a little bit as far as like, is it a classic game? It's a classic ending, but it kind of had a sloppy beginning. So does a classic ending with all that went into it? You, we talked about Berkman, we talked about freeze. Does that elevate it to a classic game? I think for a game standpoint. Yeah. I, I think sometimes, um, you know, for a overall series, like I, you know, I, I didn't include, certain series that had great moments because uh, you might not have had a lot of memorable games, for example, like 86 or, or 2016, um, you know, didn't make my, my top 10 because even though they had some really amazing moments, um, most of the games in those series individually were not all that compelling as they were going on. Um, but in, in a game like game six in 2011, um, I think the, you know the the ending basically the 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 ninth tenth and eleventh were were just so 
um, crazy, but it really was more than that. I mean, like, yeah, it was, it was a little, little sloppily played, I guess, but you, know, you did have a lot of lead changes and, and a lot of mm-hmm. back and forth in the early innings of that too, right? I mean, it was, right. you know, Rangers won nothing, then Cardinals 2-1, then 2-2, then the Rangers take a lead 3-2, then it goes 3-3, then 4-3, then 4-4, then, you know, 7-4, then 7-5, 7-7. Well, you know, and, and, and along it goes, I mean, you have that, that line score, I think, on the wall there at, uh, at the Cardinal Nation restaurant and, and, and Ballpark Village. So it's just, it, it maybe wasn't always um, pretty, but it was a extremely interesting and wild game all the way through. So then where does the no-hitter from this most recent World Series fit for you? How, uh, how much are you uh, a hardline no-hitters, a one-guy game, you know, that that's a team uh achievement but not quite one that will be memorable um i did i don't take anything away from the accomplishment like I, i'm not one of those guys who's like oh a no hitter has to be a complete game no hitter i mean no i mean it, it, it's a it's a finished game with no hits and, and and it's a no hitter it's just a team accomplishment um you know so so it, it i mean how do i consider it personally i don't consider it personally as much of an achievement as as the complete game no hitter because that's a harder thing to do to go mm-hmm. nine innings than it is to go six, um, you know. So so I mean that's kind of obvious, but yeah, it's a no hitter sure. and and it's uh it's not Larson. Larson was a complete game and a perfect game, of course, but it's the second no hitter in World Series history, and 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 it's one thing um one of the very first things uh, we'll think about when we think about this uh, the Astros Philly series. What do you? Uh, what were your thoughts about the series as a whole? I mean, it was a fascinating kind of whiplash those two days, right? Phillies go out, tie a record with five home runs by five different individuals off the same pitcher in a World Series game. Then the next day, they can't find a hit at all. Um, then the series shifts back to Houston, and it seemed like the Astros were in overdrive from there. Elements of one of the more compelling World Series of recent memory early, um, but did it live up to it by the time it shifted back to Texas? Yeah, I think it was it was one of the better World Series recently because, um, you know, most of the games were interesting. Um, you know, game one was was a classic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the Phillies coming back from down five nothing against Verlander and then Real Muto winning it with a homer and but the Astros almost winning it if Castellanos doesn't make that catch with two outs in the ninth. So, you know, so that was a really interesting game. Um, game two was pretty standard. Valdez pitched great. Um Game three, it, it wasn't close, but it was exciting in the sense that, you know, it was it was a Philadelphia crowd and five home runs and Harper's, you know, hitting it out on the first pitch he sees in Philadelphia. So, um, yeah, great point. You know, that, that was big. And then his history in, in game four um, with the first complete game, you know, with the first combined no hitter in World Series history. Game five was an awesome game, a one a one run game with with some great defensive plays. Mm-hmm. Um, that that we don't see as much uh, now, but really the, those are the first things I think of. And we get Verlander getting, you know, gutting it out for five innings and finally getting a World Series win. And um, and then Game Six with Alvarez having, you know, a moment of of, of real greatness there. So uh, I thought it was a really, um, you know, a, a, a really good series. And and also as you say, the whiplash, like you know, the Phillies winning the first game in Houston and then the first game in Philadelphia. So. You know, they had the lead in that series twice. Um, it wasn't like 
you know, they were playing catch up and they never really had much of a shot. Like, no, they were up two one. Um, it was it was exactly like the ALCS just last year um, in twenty twenty one, where the Red Sox were up two one um, on 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 Houston and hoping that they could finish it off at home. But instead, the Astros just took charge and won four five six and finished it off. You during the World Series, actually, right on the brink of the Astros clinching their World Series. It was their fourth appearance in the past six years, their second World Series title in that span, the first since 2017, which, of course, is the World Series that was then dented um, by the trash can gate of the sign-stealing scandal. Um, You, right there, right before the game where they clinched, Game 6, had a chance to catch up with Jeff Luno. A former Cardinal executive obviously got his foot in the door with baseball, wit through the Cardinals, was a big part of building Cardinal teams through the draft and, and setting up the draft for them to then go through a run where they went to several World Series and won two, including the 2011 one that we talked about, and then back in 2006. Um, what, what was his view of the World Series? Did he... Ban, you know, he'd been fired and, and kind of held out of baseball, exiled from baseball. Was he interested at all? Yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, sorry, I had to, had to skip out on our lunch that day uh, to talk <laughs> to him. But, um, that's fine. Um, it's, it's actually the second time that's happened, isn't it? The, yeah, but I know where I, I know where yeah, I rate. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I had seen him last year at his office in Houston when it was just getting off the ground, literally, like, um, you know, there wasn't, <laughs> he, he had bought the building but hadn't, hadn't filled it yet. So we, we talked in, you know, an empty conference room um, for what was initially planned to be an analytics um, sort of a consulting firm, as well as a, as a investment group in, um, in teams, but they've sort of dropped the analytic consulting part um, to really focus on, on these, these soccer teams that they've, they've bought, um, you know, with Jeff running them. Um, I talked to him. He was in Madrid. It was before a game there for his uh, his his soccer team there in, in the the Spanish um, second division, I guess. But um, you know, still very high level, I, I suppose. I don't know much about soccer, but um, <laughs> but so he uh, no. I mean, he was interested. He was he was he was very. He said he was very uh, you know happy for you know the the, the organization and, and a lot of the people who were who were still there who who he worked with and and the players who he brought in. Um, it was, it's still almost entirely his, you know, players who were acquired when, you know, under his watch, um, you know, James Click, he, he, you know, Luno said was, was smart enough to basically keep a good thing going. Um, and he said, you know, and, and that can be, that can be a challenge for a, mm-hmm. a GM to come in. You know, you want your own people, you know, you're not really wedded to the, the, the people who were there, but, you know, Click did understand that that it was his job mainly to maintain um, this 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 juggernaut and to add to it um, where he saw fit and and you know that's what he did and and obviously he clashed with with uh, Jim Crane and within a week he was gone but um, so no Jeff I mean you know Jeff I, I don't think he he need he's not the kind of guy like he's not of baseball in the sense that. He needs baseball to satisfy a, a professional yearning. Like I think he came in. Basically, the shorthand is, and there's a lot, of, a lot of other stuff that goes along with it. But the shorthand is, he came in for as an outsider mm-hmm. and figured out the game. 
you know, he, he figured out how, how to how to do the job better than a, lo- a lot of people who were in the industry um, forever. And he ha- he made enemies along the way. And, and there were some obviously, uh, you know, the, the sign stealing scandal, he, he, he says he had no knowledge of. And um, and that's why he, you know, will never he said he'll never apologize for something he didn't do or something he didn't know about. Um, and I think that's one thing that, that people, you know, it's, it's hard now to accept when somebody doesn't give you the pound of flesh that you want, um, you know, in the public contrition thing. Um, but he's just not going to do it because he, he, you know, he, he didn't, he said he didn't know about it. So all of his apologies are kind of nuanced and, and qualified, but at least if that is really true, at least they're, you know, truthful to, to him, he's you know I wouldn't apologize if, if if I truly didn't didn't do something. So um, I don't know. The point is that he he's he he came in as an outsider and as a disruptor, unapologetic disruptor. Um, got a lot of wins, and now he's on to other things. He's always loved baseball, but it wasn't like he loved baseball way more than he loved other sports. Um, I think he's he's getting just as much satisfaction from running soccer teams and traveling to Africa to try to find talent mm. where no one else is looking, and you know all these all these same sort of principles um, that he applied to baseball, looking for edges where other people weren't looking. Um, it seems to have invigorated him in this new uh, chapter. During the 2019 World Series, when Houston faced Washington and lost to, uh, you know, local plug Max Scherzer of Mizzou and the Washington Nationals. Um, standing outside, and you know the layout, the, the visitor's clubhouse there at Nationals Park. You walk in, you go to the left, you're down a hallway, and at the end of it is the clubhouse. And along the way to the clubhouse down that hallway is the manager's office, which has like a little suite before you get to the desk. And then, you know, then there's a food room. And then there's like a video lounge room where they watch movies or anything. And then there's the clubhouse standing outside that manager's room, the, the room where the, the, the sort of suite area to that room. Yeah. Um, I asked Jeff and he was not thrilled, but I asked him, I said, are you comfortable with the perception that you've created a culture that is win at all costs and be damned the consequences? And, you know, that you have created this, we'll do whatever it takes to win, um, at, you know, kind of culture here that then sets you up to be the villain and never celebrated um, because the idea is that you're looking for every edge possible at the expense of an opponent. Um, and he uh, he did not like that question, um, but I kind of present it to you, Tyler, as, you know, if you create, like you said, he's uh, he, he's not going to apologize for taking part in the sign ceiling. And he says that he wasn't a part of it. But if you create a culture that does that, are you not at least complicit? Yeah, I think that's that's the issue, right? Um, is is that regardless of what you may have known or what you knew or didn't know about the specifics of the trash can banging scheme um the the kind of culture that that you foster there um you know can can i i think 
I think it's a it's an unsurprising outgrowth. I think of that of that culture. Mm. So, um, you know, when he said, you know, he said to me, "Is is I I was in charge of the organization and I should have known and had I known I would have stopped it." He said, "But that's as far as I'll ever go because that's the truth." Um, you know, I so as as somebody who was in charge of the organization, he is he he believes he should have known he should have had. Uh, some sort of system in place. He should have checked whatever. Um, but, you know, again, I, I think it, it, it's, it's, it's more, it, it's an intangible thing, but I, I, I know what you mean. And, and I think there's definitely some validity to it because, you know, it's not just the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the sign stealing thing. I mean, you know, this is an organization that went out and traded for Roberto Ozuna. Um, yeah you know, who was a distressed asset, but a, a, a really good pitcher. And, and, you know, they were able to justify it in their minds by saying that, well, you know, he, he he's, he's, uh, you know, we have no tolerance for anything on our watch. And, and, um, you know, we can start anew here and, and he knows how we're, you know, all that stuff that you can tell yourself um, yeah. if you really want the player. And I know that sticks with some people. Um, and obviously, you know, he was um, somewhat, uh, I don't know if ruthless the word, but, um, you know, he, did, he didn't, he didn't ha- have much time for sentiment or um, just opinions. Like he wanted, you could be a longtime baseball person, real accomplished, but if you didn't present to Jeff, your, your, your vision for how you can help the organization going forward right. um, in, in a factual fact-based sort of way, um, you were on your way out. So he made yeah. a lot of enemies there. In the he scout. was unapologetic about that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. He was, un, he was unapologetic about, about the changes that he felt he had to make. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think it was, it, the, the message was, you know, we're going to win and we're going to do what it takes to win. And, um, you know, whether the, the players picked up on that from him or, or, or whether that was irrelevant to their scheme, um, you know, it all it, it all is somewhat connected. Yeah, the, the timing of when I asked that question was actually before the full scope of the sign-stealing you know, scandal was reported by The Athletic, but it was at a time when they had had a staff member found trying to set up the camera. They had right. had all these other accusations going around about what they were doing to get signs to, to kind of, you know, I mean, basically, I mean, they, they were like gathering intelligence and the question was whether or not they were blurring the line mm-hmm. of what was permissible. And the kind of viewpoint was that like, well, some of this stuff has been etiquette and they're just trampling over it. Mm-hmm. And are they going over the point where they're, I, I think in some ways he made baseball kind of, con- or not he, but the Houston Astros under his guidance made baseball confront how unwritten rules for things maybe need to be written or enforced. Yeah. You know, yeah, that's it, a really good point. No, that's a really good point um, because if you come in um, with no real, um, it, no real com- compulsion to ad- adhere to these unwritten rules, then you sort of look at it and say, "Well, what's keeping us from doing something? There's nothing on the books that says we can't do this, you know, or we can't do that." And right. and also the technology advances that they were they were really ahead of. Um, you know, I may have tripped them up in, in, in that case, because you remember walking around, you know, walking around, um, 
uh, there were spring training. There were cameras everywhere. I mean, they were everywhere. They were filming stuff way before other teams were were, were doing it. Um, mm-hmm. They were real early adapters to the idea of of data capture of, of you know video capture data capture to improve performance and and to develop players player development player yeah. development through video um and so the cameras were everywhere and you know so what's another use of a camera to steal signs i mean you know stealing signs is something that i mean they were building an algorithm to think about you know they could they could look for instead of just the eye te- you know the old the old you know, baseball lifer who sits in the in the dugout and can say, hey, you know, when he does this with his glove, he's going to throw a changeup. You know, they can mm-hmm. figure that out through video analysis. And so they were, you know, they were looking for ways to, you know, to sort of formalize and make sophisticated um, those old techniques that were sort of, um, you know, just sort of passed down through, through, uh, through, you know, old old wisdom I'll, I'll tell you a quick story that you'll you'll uh you'll you'll probably enjoy this i wish i could remember the specific date but it was uh in here in st louis and it was early in the day afternoon before a game and sig Madoff, who is now with the baltimore orioles but came to the cardinals um hired by lunau and then went to houston um before going on to baltimore where he is now um you know he he and a few other staff members they were kind of milling around behind home plate and they were installing things and i was asking uh, or they were measuring to install things so it was clear that they were kind of triangulating things so I, you know with these measurements and i asked them and they're like you know the, the, everything that has being recorded about the game in terms of pitching is static it's you know it's velocity it's how how fast is this fastball how slow is a curveball and the thought was that if you set up a way to have multiple cameras and this is what they were looking at um, you could find more of a 3D image of pitches. Right. You could measure not just this notion of how fast a fastball is, but actually how it moves through the zone. And, you know, it was obviously the early days of what we have now. And I'll never forget it because, you know, they were working there. And what they called it was we're trying to set up a radar gun for curveballs to better mm-hmm. understand. Yeah. And I wrote a little note about it, and now it's like, here they were, but even back then they were trying to find, okay, how do you observe the game differently? How do you record it so you can revisit it and revisit it in such granular detail that you can then decode it, almost find within the replays and the data, the the secrets that the instantaneous action keeps from us. And it was fascinating. Yep. Yep. I mean, that, and, and that's, you know, so much of, of what, we see now is this stuff that they were, they were just ahead of everybody on. I mean, you know, it, it, it really, it's similar to like, you know, when Bill James was out there for so many years, you know, with, you know, spitting truth as the kids would say uh, <laughs> years ago, I guess I'm way behind on the lingo, but you know, when Bill James had years and years of, of writings that, that teams just ignored. Um, mm-hmm. And it could have made them better. And like you know, you had Drive Line out there. You had you know all, a Texas Baseball Ranch. You have all, you know all these all these uh, college programs like Vanderbilt. Um, you know all these schools. Uh, all that was these, really they, subtle. No, that was yeah, really right, subtle. Very well subtle. done. Yeah. All these uh, all these base, basically baseball think tanks that um, that organized baseball was ignoring. 
and they were, you know, there were a lot of things that could apply. Oh, pitch design, um, all those sort of things. And and I think the Astros were really, really good. I mean, I, you know, I talked to Morgan Ensberg during the series. He was a minor league manager for the Astros, former Astros third baseman um, mm-hmm. during that time. He's with the Rays now. And he was saying like, you know, about the piggybacking starters idea and, and, and how a lot of people, you know, um, dismissed that. And, 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 but what the Astros were trying to do was, was build up, it was basically give themselves double the options of, of starters, you know, by having guys go four and four, um, four innings for you, four innings for you. And then, you know, and then as the season goes on, you, you build a little bit, but you, what you end up with is this, this inventory of guys who can give you multiple innings and who can do what we saw in this postseason, right. which was Luis Garcia pitching five innings to, to close out a, an 18 inning win in Seattle to clinch that series. And we saw Javier just completely dominate everybody he faced in October. We saw Valdez the, do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we saw Urquidy only pitch once in the series, but he three scoreless innings um, that he threw. So you just have all that. You know, Hunter Brown didn't even pitch much, and he's a good-looking young player. So you have all these um, waves and waves of young players, young pitchers the Astros developed. And, um, you know, because they were – doing some of these methods that people uh, didn't think much of, but the Astros saw the value in trying it. That's Tyler Kepner, national baseball columnist for the New York times and author of the new book, a history of the world series, the grandest stage. So within the context of your book, Houston has defied what we've heard throughout this current kind of wildcard areas era, especially as the playoffs have expanded that, you know, that the playoffs are, are difficult and that, you know, they, they, they're filled with improbable probability. Funny things happen. Uh, finger stiffens on a closer and the Phillies win the pennant. Those kind exactly. of things. You exactly can't, right. Yeah. You can't predict those. And yet here you go. You can seemingly predict that Houston will win the pennant and be in the world series. They've won at least a series. I mean, look, they haven't even tumbled out in the first round here during this stretch. They're playing for a pennant or they've won the pennant within the context of like the history of the world series. Is this Astros a dynasty or is this as close as a dynasty as a modern team can get Tyler? Um, maybe. I mean, I don't think they're, they're an American league dynasty, um, but they're not, they're not a baseball dynasty because they, they, I think you need more than, two championships in, in, in a six year span. Um, but they're as close to dynastic as, 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 as we have now. And it's, it's a little like, it's a lot like the nineties Braves in the sense that like, um, forget that the Braves only won one championship. They, uh, they always got through the, um, the, they always got to NLCS, right? I mean, like, you know, before the expanded playoffs, they got there. 91, 2, and 3. And then they brought in the expanded playoffs and they still got there in 95, 6, 7, 8, and 9. So they always won the the division series, um, just like the Astros do. Um, and, and so I think there is a separator there um, that kind of defies the randomness because they're just that good. Um, they're just they're just that deep and that prepared. Um, that said, you know, there there are always things that you can point to and say, you know, they were they were down to their last out against Seattle in, in, in game one and 
you know, if Robbie Ray makes a better pitch or if, if service uses a different pitcher or whatever, um, maybe Alvarez doesn't hit that home run and that whole series changes. I mean, Julio Rodriguez hit a ball off the wall um, in that game in Seattle. And, and if that goes out, um, that's probably a different outcome too. So, I mean, it is a game of inches, but when you do it, uh, you know, when you get to the LCS six years in a row and four world series and you win two of them, um, it's more than, it's more than chance. It's, it, it's, they're doing something really, really better than everybody else. And, and we, you know, that's, that's <clears throat> it. What's, what's most impressive about that is that they're doing it in an era where so many teams are, are smart. And I don't think there's many teams that you could say are, are stuck in the, the stone age. Um, and the Yankees in their run in, in 96 to, uh, you know, Oh three, um, mm-hmm. you know, where they made six world series in eight years and won four of them. Um, I think there were a lot of rivals that just, just weren't as smart as the Yankees, you know, let alone have the Yankees budget. So, right. um, you know, so they had the advantage of, of both intelligence and, and money. And I think the Astros, you know, for, for, you know, certainly the early part of this run had, had the big advantage in, in intelligence and they had a big, a big payroll. <clears throat> um, and we'll see now how it's going to sustain itself with so much of a brain drain there. I mean, obviously Luno's gone, um, but now James Click is gone. Oswald uh, Campo left once. Now he's gone again to the Marlins. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had, you know, some assistants, uh, Pete Petulia, who, who, who is, who is gone now. And, 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 and one of the clicks assistants also got fired. So, you know, they have a lot of um, smart people who they need to replace. And it, in, in the instances in baseball history, when an owner sort of just decides to kind of, kind of take over a little bit in the baseball ops and, 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 and really exert himself, um, doesn't tend to, 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 to really be no to really work. I mean, Charlie Finley had some success in the set, you know, early seventies with the A's, um, you know, largely from, from the, from the early years of the draft and the last couple of years before the draft, when he just, you know, struck gold over and over again. And, and those guys, you know, won three championships for, for Finley, but yeah, you look the Steinbrenner chaos um, in the nineties or in the eighties and nineties before the Yankees, built it back when George was suspended. You look at what happened to the Phillies in the early eighties when, you know, Bill Giles uh, took over the team and kind of started making a lot of baseball decisions. And, and that team, you know, really, uh, you know, fell off. So I don't know. I mean, I, I, it's up to crane to, to, to see, to, to be able to, you know, find the right people to keep this thing running. Um, And that's a big question. You mentioned like, the Yankees of of the '90s. I think probably if you ask baseball fans, they could quickly name multiple players from that team that was constantly there in the World Series. Um, you know, certainly here in St. Louis, you, we talked about how the 2011 team, 20 the 2016 people could just rattle off the names. Um, you know, Houston has done this with you know losing Carlos Correa in the middle of it. George Springer signs elsewhere. Um, you know, Bregman, Alvarez, Guriel, um, these guys have been constants there. Obviously, Altuve has been a constant there. Um, so they have the players who have been constant. Uh, as you were kind of writing about World Series, though, isn't the personalities of a team kind of what elevates it, too? Isn't, isn't that a big part of it? Like, 
maybe not personalities, but personalities and performance. Like Reggie Jackson is, you know, obviously a October legend for performance, but also his swagger. And I find it interesting when you look at Houston that so much of the kind of public perception of them is Dusty Baker or that Reggie Jackson is, you know, uh, a, you know, a, a confidant of the owner. Um, and are we missing the players? And does that kind of detract this team from where it fits in World Series history? Um, I think the players, you know, were they've somewhat uh, obviously changed by the whole science stealing thing. I mean, Altuve right. used to be much more of a, I think, a forward facing um, presence, and you know, he still does does some stuff, but he's not as as kind of out there and as as maybe he used to be uh, as the front man. Um, you know, Correa and 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 Springer were were you know really good at you know, being sort of a centerpiece of, of a team and, and its personality and they're gone. But again, what it is with the Astros, right, is that is that they can lose Springer and Correa um, because they can replace them with, uh, you know, Tucker and, and Pena and Alvarez. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a lot like the Braves, again, where, um, you know, think about the offensive pieces of those Braves teams where, you know, you start off with like Gant and and Pendleton and 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 Justice, but then over the years that morphs into um, Andrew Jones and Chipper Jones and Klesko from their farm system, and then they go right. out and get a Fred McGriff, and so you know you're Marquis Grissom, so you're adding these these really established pieces along the way while giving the illusion of um, it being like the same team, you know. So I, and in the in the Astros case, just I mean, Tucker, again, Tucker and Alvarez, and now it looks like Pena, you know, just three really high impact guys who were not there um, for, you know, the, the, the 17, the 17 run. And, and now they're huge uh, contributors. When it comes to his career, do you think of Justin Verlander as an Astro or as a Tiger? Great question. Um, I mean, if he stays with the Astros that here in free agency, that's going to, you know, tilt things a little toward Houston. He still spent a lot more years with the Tigers. Mm-hmm. Um, he won two series now with the, with, with Houston and he lost two series with, uh, with Detroit. Um, I think, you know, that sort of takes time historically to play itself out. Um, I guess still the Tigers. I hope he doesn't go into the hall of fame as one of those blank cap guys. I don't like the blank cap at all. Um, just because the player never wore a blank cap, you know, pick one or, or just, don't don't have a hat. Just show yourself. Don't have your, a hat. That's with your hair. Idea. I mean, there's some old. I think uh, you know. I don't know Melot or somebody like this. You know, there's a bunch of old plaques where the guys don't have a hat. Anyway, I I, don't, I hate the blank hat. But um, I think if you're Verlander and you had to pick, you'd probably still go Tigers because that's where you spent more years. But uh, it's definitely now a dual a dual legacy, a little, a little like Roy Halladay or or uh, Catfish Hunter in that way. Quick uh, quick tangent because I'm I'm good at them. Before we like get back onto the 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 direction the conversation that I'm trying to take the conversation, but uh, when are we going to see a batting helmet on a DH in Cooperstown? <laughs> Great like, point. Shouldn't we, shouldn't we see that? Shouldn't like the, there be like an ear flap on one of the, on one of the uh, bronze. Yeah. Bronze? 
Yeah, you know, Ortiz and Edgar, I guess we missed those opportunities. Um, yeah. You know, they missed a chance to have Griffey with a backwards hat. Um, that would have been epic. Although, yeah, but it wouldn't have. You need the Mariners. You need the Mariners. Yeah, it would have been tough. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean, though. I I, I study those plaques, and I'm like, I, I, could, I could tweak a bunch of these. Right? Yeah, just see an ear flap, you know, just like a little nod to the fact of, you know, just the the gen, the the era of the game, which, right. you know, which in a, in a way like Houston now, I think, is a fascinating representative of this era. I mean, sign stealing scandal, uh, brain drain, whiz kids, all of it, the swagger, um, you know, the the owner's involvement, the I'm going to be blunt, the disposable GM. Um, I think right. there's just a real fascinating element. I mean, Houston has, you're right. I mean, Houston has pollinated so many far, uh, like other front offices. Right. And mm-hmm. if, and the Cardinals will want to make the case and they, they can, that at least that started with them and they've helped kind of pollinate to a lot of front offices. That, mm-hmm. That's completely fair. But in so many ways, they just kind of, they, they, while the Dodgers dominance out West has been really remarkable um and they are just you know I, I call them the death star they're just they're fully operational i mean they have money and metrics and smarts and more money and they can paper over their mistakes and they can create depth and they can have the the one of the highest cost payroll teams at AAA ever all those things um but in a lot of ways houston is the better personification of this era you know where it's like what edge can you find what players can you move on from? What players can you cost control? And who can you get to lead this year? It's just a fascinating kind of era we're in where the through line is who, you know, the the metrics that drive a team and what they accumulate and not like the core four that drives a team, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's really what it is. I mean, you know the the, the Moneyball um, revolution uh, is kind of you know kind of reached I think it's it's zenith with the Astros. Um, you know there are a lot of things the A's couldn't do because um, of finances and 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 there are a lot of things that Billy Bean was 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 picking up on, but he didn't pick up on everything. It, it was kind of the the mindset um, of of looking everywhere and, and defying convention that I think is is what is what uh, the Astros picked up on so well and, and, you know, almost perfected. In your book, A History of the World Series, The Grandest Stage, one of, like, my favorite things to pick through, and I'll admit that, like, I, I saw it, and so um, as, I, as I read the book, um, I did find myself, like, hopping around a little bit because I wanted to go back to visit the, the back part where you have lists and different mm-hmm. kind of things. Yeah. Um, I just – I love it because it's, like, little, like – snack size samplers of moments in world series history and some of them are non-traditional um you know like uh the snub seven right like you look at mvps that should have been right and mm-hmm. um who won it and who should have um you know the, the uh, uh brad penny gets a nod in it um barry bonds gets a nod in that uh you know you got obviously anytime you talk about the world series um you know, you come upon a lot of stories that involve the Yankees and uh, and the Cardinals. And one of the things you did is you picked this all-world series team, um, right. but you picked two. 
two all-time World Series teams. One is um, all Yankees, and then the other one, the rule is no Yankees. And I just I, I found it fascinating because on the no Yankees team, there are seven players with Cardinal ties. So it's almost <laughs> like you should have done like a no Yankees and no Cardinals team. Like the 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 list on your all. If I can give away a little bit of a spoiler, I won't give away the whole spoiler for people to read. But it, the list of like all time World Series teams, non Yankee division has Berkman, Harry Burchin, Lou Brock, Edgar Renteria, Pepper Martin, Tim McCarver, and Bob Gibson. Now not all of them are on there because of their um, Cardinal, you know, performances, but most are all, but one really are. Um, and, and in that list, you, you do give us the chance to stump for Harry Burkeen's, um candidacy, you know, locally for more attention mm-hmm. by calling him the bum gardener of the 1940s. I like that. I like that <laughs> line. Um, so th- that leads me to like, we're talking about personalities and everything. Um, and kind of the players that define a World Series. How, how, uh, in your research, I mean, just how often did a Cardinal come up as shaping World Series history? Oh, yeah. I mean, because they had, it's not just that they've played in a lot of World Series, they've played in a lot of good World Series. Um, you know, the, the ones more recently, except for 11, have, 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 have not been great. Um, I think 13 had its moments, but certainly. <clears throat> there wasn't much memorable um, about oh four. What and, I mean, you don't want to like rhapsodize about a pickoff to end a game or an obstruction to end another game. Well, that I mean, doesn't capture your imagination. Yeah, like, like thirteen was interesting. Thirteen was okay, but um, <laughs> it was okay. You know, you had. I mean, game five was actually really good in that series, and, and, yeah. and but anyway, you know, what I meant was that a lot of the Cardinal World Series were early on were really, really um, uh, interesting. Like, you know, when you think about, uh, you know, Grover Cleveland Alexander against the Yankees, they made that into a movie with Ronald Reagan, of course. And, you know, the, the three, three seven-game series in the 60s with Gibson, um, you know, you had the, the all-St. Louis World Series in 44. You had the the, the epic series with the Red Sox in, in 46. Mm-hmm. Um you know, the, the three seven gamers um, in, in the 80s, you know, with 82 and 85 and 87. So, you know, they, 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 it's, they've been in a lot of series and, and, and those series have been highly uh, impactful, I think. Which of those was uh, kind of the one you enjoyed revisiting? I have the 44 series I find so fascinating. Just the, obviously the streetcar series, you know, there for a while, St. Louis was the furthest team west, the furthest team south. Uh, just a lot, or the furth- the city furthest west and the city furthest south that had a major league team, um, and then everything was like the, just the World Series was focused on St. Louis, um, so much so that uh, that all of a sudden the managers couldn't get away with sharing the same apartment, <laughs> um, which was part of the World Series. Another one was, uh, you know, uh, Emil Verban, who then became the the spirit choice of the Washington D.C. group Cubs fan group, which you know well from. Uh, George Will, um, mm. you know, he was with the the Cardinals at that time. So, of course, the Cubs fans named their their club in D.C. after a former Cardinal. Um, but he was so furious that they put his wife behind in an obstructed seat that he confronted yeah. the owner and then went off and like on a hitting tear, um, <laughs> and, you know, just like little moments like that. Uh, that's a, it, 
it's a long way of asking you like as you were looking into the world series i mean you just like kind of get to flip the card over and see such wonderful tales yeah yeah i mean you know the 46 uh is is obviously just a fascinating one um you know, when you think about that being the only World Series that Ted Williams ever played in, he just got right. five singles and how he was dinged up, uh, you know, because f- they were playing, a, they were just trying to stay loose, the Red Sox, with some exhibitions against, uh, you know, fellow American leaguers. And he got hit on, on the on the arm, the elbow, I think, um, right. Mickey, Mickey Hafner and, uh, of the Senators. And, uh, you know, he, he tried to gut his way through it, but but he wasn't. You know, he wasn't Ted at his best. And then, you know, even so, you know, they had a real chance to win it there um, and in game seven and, and didn't. So that was, you know, that was interesting. It's certainly, uh, I think, 68, um, you know, where they had the chance for, for three in the 60s and, and, and Mickey Low, they got Mickey Lowlich there at the end. Um, but, you know, looking at how, how Mayo Smith, uh, the manager of the Tigers, you know, put Mickey Stanley um at at shortstop to get him another bat in there and and how that worked um you know but but also just how close they they did come to to uh to winning that in five i mean you know they had a lead in 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 the fifth game in detroit um you know relatively late they were winning that game in the seventh inning stretch um you know, so nine outs to go and and lolich actually batted for himself um, you know in the seventh inning Um, and got a single to start a rally. So um, I don't know. I mean, you know, when, when, when you look at it there, it's like, you know, yeah, the Cardinals are eight outs from winning that series in, in, in five. Um, and they really let that one slip away. Uh, so, yeah, no, it's, it's, and I knew all about, you know, 82 and 85 and 87 because I watched them and, and, and studied them a lot as a kid and, and, and of course covered the, the four most recent ones. So, um, yeah, they're definitely a big part of it. When you set forth to write the book, you could have done a, chronological recap of the world series you could have dove into you know the the kind of shifting elements of the world series some of the background um on you know just the back and forth of who had home field advantage um how it rose to cultural prominence all that stuff how did you i mean how did you settle on the the organization that you did that you have in the book which really to me I i hope i get this right I mean, really focuses on the story aspect of individual World Series and sort of the players in. Yeah, I, I, I really try to just focus on what I do well. Um, and my strengths uh, are in the storytelling and in the uh, interviewing of, of people who, you know, who, who played and, and managed and put these teams together. So um, a chronology didn't interest me at all. Uh, because I feel like a chronology, the first thing you do, the first thing I do as a reader is, is see what year it was made and then decide whether I want to bother with this book because it doesn't have um, you know, uh, the last six years, the last whatever number of years in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to make something that was that would stand alone, um, You know, even though obviously time marches on and, and you're going to miss, there's nothing there about the 22 World Series, of course. Um, but I, I wanted something that would stand alone on sort of timeless themes about the World Series. Mm. So that's why I, I, I broke it off into, you know, uh, uh, six chapters, which are, you know, themes that that that, that were always in, in place. You know, how to handle the, the pressure or, or how managers, um, 
you know, what kind of managerial moves make a difference or don't. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do, you know, look at the unsung heroes and, and look at the guys who, you know, were maybe uh, infamous for, for certain plays. Yeah. And all that stuff applies to throughout the World Series. So I, I felt like doing a chronology would be would get kind of stale and um, just that's been done before. I wanted to do something where I, I, I told stories about the World Series. Did the did the themes that you wanted to strike? Did you start off with them, or did they reveal themselves during interviews and, yeah, and research? They, they kind of evolved after a while. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to have one like just about endings, for example, and like last outs and 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 um, final plays and stuff. But um, quick aside, because you can name them all, right? Can you name uh, all the plays that ended a World Series? Not all. I mean, only only back to like the. Uh, it's 1960. I can do everything only back, only back to 1960. That's yeah, only 60 years of it. And I can do, and I can give you all the starting pitchers from every game in the World Series since '79. So I can, I can do that, but I, I can't, I, I can't do all of it offhand. Um, but, uh, but you, so you know, I Wait, can, you, the, can you like we'll, we'll just do this. Can you, can you do the ending out of the Cardinals wins in that time? Oh, of course. Okay. All right. Let's do this. All right. I'm putting you on the spot. Let's go. Since 1960. Okay. Well, 64, uh, you know, Gibson was pitching and Johnny Keene said, you know, I listened to his heart and, and uh, he, he got Bobby Richardson for the last right. out. Um, and then in 67, uh, Gibson again, struck out uh, George Scott, Boomer Scott at Fenway. Um, 68. Was it on a slider? Uh, it was on a high fastball, I think. All right. All right. Um, in 68, they lost, and that was McCarver popping out to Bill Freehand against oh, yeah. Bullwich. Um 82 was Gorman Thomas striking out on a fastball from from uh, from Bruce Suter. Mm-hmm. 85, Andy Van Slyke flight out to Darrell Motley and right off of uh, Brett Saberhagen's complete game. 87, William McGee grounded out to third against Jeff Reardon at the Metrodome. Um, 04, Edgar Renteria grounded out to Keith Folk, um, threw it over to Minkiewicz to mm-hmm. finish that sweep. Game and then six, Jimmy Fallon took the field. Yes. Yeah, Drew Barrymore. Game six, um, Wainwright ended it with a slider to strike out uh, Brandon Inge. Mm-hmm. And then uh, 2011, David Murphy flied out to Alan Craig in left field uh, with Jason Mott pitching. And then 13, uh, Koji Yuihara struck out Matt Carpenter on a splitter. Um, Amazing. Finish that one. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Sorry. Sorry for t- distracting you there. But yeah. All right. I love it. No, ask me anything. Great. <laughs> Do, I can the, tell you uh, all, all, the, all the starting pictures of all those Cardinal games, too. Since it's, I'm it's sure you can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could re- relive the 2004 one for fans that still cause such angst, um, you know, with the, the, pitching assignments in that series there at Fenway and all that happened the 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 what is is 2004 the you have uh, you have the some of the catchphrases of the teams I love that you know just like uh, happy flight of course was the 2011 um team and you 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 kind of recall like the the phrases that that captured teams here recently um it was 2004 the birth of the buzzsaw phrase um I don't know I don't 
I don't think so. I mean, that okay. was that you heard that with a national in, in, in 19. Um, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I just, oh, four is just such a, uh, such an epic tale with the Red Sox. I mean, it was just sort of like just the Cardinals just kind of got in the way there. Um, <laughs> of, of, it was such a great Cardinal team, but there was, there was no stopping that train once they beat the Yankees coming back from 3 0. It was just, the Red, they, somebody had to be in their way, and, and that was the Cardinals. Yeah, they're they're kind of the the to me they're like the guy, the defender in the epic dunk poster on your dorm room wall, like yeah. they they got posterized by the Red Sox. That that's yeah. the Cardinals' role. The Cardinals' role was to plant their face in the chest of the Shaquille O'Neal of Major League Baseball as they just dunked on them. That's about yeah. where they fit, right? Yeah, and and it's not you know, fair. That was a great team. It was, um, but, but oh my it, gosh, could yeah, not they, stop the Red Sox. Yeah, and, and and it goes way back, but they they beat the Red Sox in a couple of seven game series that we've talked about here. So, yeah. um, it's and the Red Sox were due to get theirs, um, and uh, they just did it there in in, in St. Louis uh, on a on a under under a under a red moon that night. Yeah. And then they opened up the gates. One of the coolest things I've ever seen is they opened up the gates to the Red Sox fans who were milling around. Um, there were Red Sox fans who made essentially a pilgrimage without tickets to be near when the Red Sox won. And the Cardinals made the choice during that game to open the gates to the folks who were around Bush Stadium so that the, the long-awaited championship that some of those fans had spent their entire life looking for and the entire life of the generation before them hearing about uh, could watch it. I thought that was such a cool baseball move, such like such a delightful nod to another historic franchise and its fan base to say, Hey, you know, this is your night. Come in and see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's very cool. I wasn't aware of that actually. Yeah. And it's really cool. Well, that's, I, that's, I was going to ask you, like, what did you learn about the World Series? What what thing did you come upon that you're like, this this adds more magic to something that I already adore as you worked on this book? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I didn't know a lot about the, the early, early days. Um, so it really illuminated um, a lot of stuff about how those teams were were built, how they were managed, um, you know, how how certain certain tricks that we we think of now, you know, like a, a, a Connie Mack using using a Lefty Grove in relief, you know, mm-hmm. in the World Series against the Cubs, just so he could spot him in right when he wanted to and and, and take advantage of of a right leaning lineup and you know, like a, stuff like that, like um, you know how how Christy Mathewson basically built the 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 card, the, the Reds of 1919 and how good that team really was. They didn't oh, just, yeah. they weren't just given away a world series by the, by the, uh, the crooked white Sox. They were, they were a terrific team um, regardless. And, 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 you know, how, how the Yankees just, just how, just how much the Yankees rated the Red Sox beyond Babe Ruth, um, you know, all the pitchers that they got. Um, right <laughs> like, uh, so, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of the historic stuff that you could, you could put reasons and, and put, um, you know, the, the, the background stories of, of a lot of those great old teams, like the, 
you know, like like John McGraw with it with the Giants and his just ability, his his willingness to you know take uh, what you would call now distressed assets, you know, guys with, with troubled pasts and just get something out of them and then you know ditch them when they when they were no good anymore. But um, you know, just uh, so that 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 was sort of fun. But I, I didn't I didn't uh, I mean I always I've always loved the event and and certainly just studying it even made it more so for me i really enjoyed the the part you wrote about the the white Sox and the reds and the the black Sox scandal and kind of detailing how good that reds team was um i find that also just fascinating part of the legend of the world series where again we could probably name so many of the eight men out and not so many of the reds who were part of that team uh well I, i you have written the book on the World Series, and that brings me to the annual uh, saw that we read about how, hey, baseball's dying, ratings are down. Um, man, baseball really wanted that Yankees-Dodgers World Series. Didn't get it. Instead, got Philadelphia and Houston. You know, ratings are down, blah, blah, blah. Though ratings in St. Louis remain pretty good no matter who's playing in baseball or in the, in the World Series, which I find endlessly fascinating and further kind of evidence of just how, how much this – this area here where I live adores baseball for you. Do you think something needs to be tweaked with the world series or is all of that? A lot of angst about nothing. I mean, it is, is a world series still the fall classic. And while ratings are down, well, naturally ratings are down everywhere. People have more access to more entertainment than ever. Um, But the, but the world series still captivates the fans still captivates the country in a way. Um, do you do you think it needs to be tweaked at all? Are you a fan of like the super weak notion that Boris has kind of talked about, or or would you make some other twist to it? No, I I, I wouldn't. Uh, I certainly wouldn't put it in, in a neutral site. I think part of the big part of the fun of it is 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 the local um, the local flavor. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So uh, you know I. I I, I hope Philly think... reminded everybody of that. Philly was fantastic. That was exactly. a great like World Series experience because the fans were just. It was such an awesome kind of event because the fans helped make it that way. Right, right, and, and baseball is just a different product than football. Um, and, and so I, you know, I, 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 I would I always advocate having having a day game in there, um, just one day game. Uh, mm during the world series, call it kids day. I had invite the little league world series champs to take the field with the big league world series guys and throw out the first pitch and do, you know, do all that stuff just as a, as sort of a permanent kind of acknowledgement of, of, you know, the, you know, I, I playing a kid's game kind of thing and, and, and letting, letting the kids know that this event is for them too, not just for, you know, late night uh, where they, they can't watch it. And, and, I know they would take a hit ratings wise, but my point would be that you might uh, benefit long term. Um, you know, and, and so I because the games have the games have started not the start times the games have started late. You know, from from decades and decades. It's it's uh it's the run times. So right, the games just last so long um, that they're hard for fans in the East Coast to watch, and, and particularly young fans. And you know, our generation um, is just old enough to remember a few day games in the series, but that hasn't happened since this, you know, there was no day games in 85 or 86. 
one day game in 87 and that was the last one. So, um, you know, our generation now is the, is the viewing public and, and, and baseball is, is largely a regional sport. Um, you know, and, and, and maybe if you made the series a little more accessible for, for kids, particularly kids in the East coast to watch, um, it, it could be a little bit more of a popular event, but you know, the fact is it still does, it still does great in the ratings for, for what Fox wants. And, and that's, yeah. to, you know, to win the, to, to win the week and to win the, the, the season or whatever. And, and, you know, it, it, besides the NFL, um, the world series does draw really good ratings. Um, n- nothing draws very good ratings anymore on, on, on TV. People just don't watch it live, but people do watch sports live and, you're not getting the 50 million that, that you, you got in 1980, but you're, you're getting whatever it is, 12 or 13 million. And that's still 12 or 13 million good. viewers. Um, that's the thing. I mean, like, you know, people want to say, oh, baseball is this or that. I'm like, well, there's still, you know, millions and millions of people who, who love baseball and spend their money and spend their time on it. Um, and, and that's one thing you learn as you have, as we all have, Every generation thinks of itself as more fast paced than the one before it. And the, then the you pace, hit your 40s. Yeah. Well, and the fate, the, the, right. The, the pace of baseball, the slow pace of baseball is always going to be um, a topic. And how will today's generation handle the slow pace of the game? And, and it's, it always sustains itself, even though, um, you know, it is what it is. It, it, it tweaks are fine, but I don't like, baseball having to apologize for what it is it always it always endures i've always i don't think i've told you i've thought of this and uh i've probably wanted to share it but here i'll just do it on the podcast uh i've always wondered as the world series gets later into october if maybe halloween is a day game if you know as long as it's not like game seven right then mm-hmm. if, if you turned halloween into a day game and it's a day game wherever it's at so if it's out in Los Angeles, it's pre trick or treating World Series game. It's you know kids in costumes. It's it's all of it that that Halloween is a day game in May for the World Series, and just you could build that into it. And you know if the World Series gets there, fantastic. Um, if it doesn't, then you know next year will be that much special. But because Halloween still can be a, like a kids' holiday, right? Mm-hmm. And and is built around like kids having fun and kids imagination and who they want to be when they grow up sometimes with their costumes that it wouldn't be a bad thing for major league baseball to say hey you know what here's our here's our treat for you all a day game hmm. yeah i i the problem with that is 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 that well this year it would have been game three but um i think most years if if it's on if it's on halloween it's usually going to be like game six or or something like that and, yeah like, as they expand the playoffs i wondered about that like you know as this kind of tweaks and everything like that but yeah you know yeah i mean i and i don't know about a midweek day game i mean i know they did that for many decades but i, I don't awesome it would be, it would be awesome but i i, I think the ratings you wouldn't might, fight with football you wouldn't fight with no, college football it wouldn't but i do wonder if it would be uh if it would be a, a nuisance you know if it would really be fair for a lot of people who work and everything and, and, and they, you know, they'd, they'd rather it start at eight than at like, you know, three or something. Um, right. Just, oh, well now you've crushed my dreams. <laughs> I just, I'm just asking for one day game in the afternoon on the weekend, you know, like this year, 
This year it would have been game two. That would have been fine. Like, that would have been great. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Switch with Friday start, and you, know, you could have had started on Friday and have game two on Saturday, and and um, you know, do the kids' day and all that. So, I don't when know. was the last? When was the last day game in World Series? History? Game six in '87, um, the indoor game where the you know the Cardinals looked to John Tudor yet again. They looked to John Tudor to clinch the series on the road, and and uh, didn't do it, and and. Uh, you know, Herbeck hit a big grand slam. Well, they already had a lead, but grand slam kind of put it away um, in game six. And, and yeah, so that was. And who started it for the Twins? Lester Straker. Lester there Straker you go. against John Tudor. Yep. And we bring it full circle to just how I just I cannot keep up with all the things that you remember about this stuff. I'm amazed. You know, <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it doesn't leave a lot of room for uh, anything else in that brain. But uh, no, but I'm I'm glad to have you uh, as a friend for the inevitable trivia contest that we enter in our 80s. We're gonna crush it. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. No, because I'll have the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which by then will be like you know 100 films, 120 films deep, and I can name you know all that stuff. And you got the World Series cut. We should be. We're gonna be the. We're gonna be a juggernaut. We're gonna be the Houston Astros minus the sign stealing of virtual trivia in our 80s we're gonna crush it <laughs> yeah i don't need any uh i don't need signs to tell me that uh brandon backy started against uh freddie garcia in game four in 2005 <laughs> i don't need any help with that right? <laughs> what a moment tyler thank you very much for joining me. that's tyler kepner he's the new york times national baseball columnist you can find all of his work at nytimes.com of course um, you can find his book, A History of the World Series, The Grandest Stage, by Tyler Kepner, New York Times bestselling author. It's on shelves now in the St. Louis area. I've seen it at uh, at Left Bank Books, for example. So you can get it at your independent bookstore. Uh, Tyler, thank you so much for, for joining me here on the best podcast in baseball. Um, we'll have you back to talk about the World Series next year, I guess, wherever it takes us. All right, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe even St. Louis. We'll we'll see. It's been uh, it's, it, it'll be a decade since the last one there, and and I know they're getting restless. They are, they are, they are, they are pennant hungry. They they thirst for a championship, and there's a lot of frustration here um, in the opening hours of free agency that they haven't signed everybody. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's a uh, it's 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 a much more um, demanding baseball town than I think that than uh, America gives it credit for. Oh my gosh, is it ever? But that goes with the pressurized at- at- atmosphere here, right? A lot of focus on baseball, a lot of focus on baseball excellence, and you're right, a lot of um, hunger for their return to uh, to really what has been the land of the Dodgers and the Astros, um, you know, and, and the Phillies most recently to winning that pennant. So yeah, well, I think also they they can't. They can't really take the uh, you know ease up on, on on that because I feel like you know the, the minute the Cardinals or, or the fans you know let up on it, then they could they're in danger of becoming like the Reds or the Pirates or some team where you know with with another great baseball tradition, but that just can't can't sustain anything. And and the the Cardinals' ability to sustain what they have is 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 I think what makes them really special there. So they haven't had the world series yet in, in, in 10 years now, but um, you know, they're, they're always in it. They're always a danger. They have big stars. Um, and uh, you know, they're, 
they're always a team you got to pay attention to. Thank you very much, Tyler. You can find, again, all of his work at NY Times. Check out his book, The History of the World Series, The Grandest Stage. You can find all of the constant Cardinals coverage about the team we just talked about at stltoday.com and in the pages of the Post-Dispatch. The best podcast in baseball, sponsored by Closets by Design of St. Louis, is available wherever you get your podcasts. You can rate it, review it, and subscribe to it on iTunes. Please do rate and review it. I do check those out. And, of course, if you subscribe, subscribe subscriptions make the sponsorships possible and sponsorships make this weekly podcast possible again tyler thank you so much it's good catching up with you we could talk for hours about the world series and i could you know bore you with little like uh little anecdotes from the from the cardinals world series that i learned along the way like the ham sandwich bob break gave to bob gibson ah okay well you have to tell me about that one later i'm gonna get a ham sandwich myself right now excellent i'll take you out to lunch and then you'll uh, you'll skip it to talk to jeff lunau <laughs> yeah, he's on the phone. I might have to, yeah.